listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here, and you've got episode 124 of the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. Today, I've got a conversation with Camille Andros. She is a picture book author I'm very excited to introduce you to. She's also a mother of six, and she's got a brand new book coming out today. But her books, her picture books have been some of my favorites. So I'm excited for you to meet her. Now, before we do, I have a couple other things I want to talk to you about. First of all, I just got back from the Great Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth, Texas. So much fun. And I'm going to be at all the rest of the Great Homeschool Conventions this year. There's one in Greenville, South Carolina, St. Charles, Missouri, Cincinnati, Ohio, Ontario, California, Rochester, New York, and Jacksonville, Florida. And if you live anywhere near those cities, I would love to meet you. You can find details and get your tickets at greathomeschoolconventions.com. I'm giving four sessions. I'm going to be teaching for an hour about teaching from rest in the early years, all about homeschooling kids under eight. I'm going to give a session called Loving Your Life as a Homeschooling Mom. And if homeschooling has lost its shine, you are not alone. I think it's really easy to get caught up in all that dailiness of demanding tasks. And somehow in the thick of it, the homeschooling lifestyle we were once excited about starts to seem like a drag. So we're going to walk through what's standing in our way of falling in love with our homeschooling lives. That's Loving Your Life as a Homeschooling Mom. I'm very excited about that one. I'm also giving a session called How to Talk to Your Kids About Books, even if you haven't read them yourself. <laughs> and I'll be on a mom panel. And these, this is a question and answer panel with a couple of my favorite speakers, Colleen Kessler and Pam Barnhill. So once again, if you want to join me at the Great Homeschool Conventions, I'd love to meet you there. Find out details, locations, dates, get your tickets at greathomeschoolconventions.com. Now, before we launch into the conversation with Camille, I wanted to answer a question that came in from Catherine. My name is Catherine, and I live just outside of Chicago. And my question is, what are some of the things that you look for, particularly in text and children's books, to identify that it is a quote-unquote good book? I know you've talked a lot about illustrations, in particular, making adults and children look at them longer, and you're intrigued to know more about the details in the illustrations. But what are some of the things that you look for specifically in the text to know that it is a good book? Oh, I love this question, Catherine. Thank you for asking. If I am trying to decide if a book is worthwhile based on its text, I'm going to read a sample of it. And what I'm looking for in particular are rich, varied vocabulary from that sampling. So that means if I'm at the library or a bookstore and I find a book, I'm going to flip it open and read maybe the first page or the first few pages if it's a picture book. And then I'll flip to somewhere around the halfway mark and I'll read another page. Again, I'll just read a couple more pages if it's a picture book. And what I want to see is a wide range of words, words that I want to say out loud because they'll taste good in my mouth. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? The words that are rich that you just want to hear with your ear and you want to say out loud. I don't want to see oversimplified language. I don't want to see text that seems dull or like it's talking down to children. In fact, looking for that rich vocabulary is part of the three-question test 
that I talk about in chapter nine of my newest book, The Read Love Family. We'll put a link in the show notes for you to the book, but that simple three question test shows you how to pick up a book at your library or bookshop, read a small sampling, and then just ask three questions about it to decide if the book has earned a spot in your library bag or on your home bookshelf. But the very the basics of it, especially when it comes to the text, is that I read a small sampling and I see if it sounds delicious. Does it sound varied? Does it feel like a book that's oversimplified or talking down to me? And then that's the key for me is a rich, varied vocabulary. Thank you so much for your question, Catherine. Hey, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on an upcoming episode of the podcast, head to readaloudrevival.com scroll to the bottom of the page and then look for, got a question for Sarah McKenzie. You leave your voice message there and I'd love to hear your question so I can possibly answer it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Today's guest says that bringing life to characters in her head is the fulfillment of a lifelong dream. Camille Andros is the author of two picture books my kids and I all love. One is called Charlotte the Scientist is Squished, and the other is The Dress and the Girl. She's also a traveler. I hear that she always carries a small black notebook on her travels to record the stories she imagines. She's an EMT, and she is the mother of six. So am I. So of course, I could not wait to talk to Camille. She said that she recalls feeling completely secure while reading with her parents. And she loves recreating that feeling snuggled in by the fire with her own children. So she sounds like she's going to fit right in here at Read Aloud Revival, right? (laughs) Camille, welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a treat to talk to you. I um, discovered the dress and the girl and fell in love with it. And then after that, you were so kind to send me a copy of Charlotte the Scientist is Squished. And I don't know if it's because I have a large family myself, but I just loved Charlotte. I mean, I love both of them, but I just loved Charlotte the Scientist is squished. I think, you know, my kids share bedrooms. I've got three girls in one room and three boys in another. I think my kids can really relate to that. And so can I, right? That desperate need for personal space. (laughs) Yeah, we have everybody sharing rooms here at our house too. So, and my husband's the sixth of 10 kids and he has one older brother and eight sisters. And so that's what I was originally thinking of when I started writing it. But then someone (laughs) mentioned that it was actually about me. And I think that's (laughs) probably pretty accurate. Okay. So the first question I have, I know a lot of our listeners are probably already wondering because I introduced you as an EMT and a mother of six and a writer and a traveler. So can you tell me about how you fit writing into your days? To be clear, I'm not working as an EMT right now. I have in the past, but I'm not right now. So that's not one of the things I have to work around. <laughs> so, But it probably gave you all kinds of life experiences, right? That you draw oh, on, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I loved, I worked in, primarily in the emergency room in the emergency department of a hospital. Before I had started writing, I had planned to go to PA school and when my youngest was in kindergarten. And you have to have about a a thousand patient care hours before you can do that, before you can even apply to school. And so I was working in the hospital to get my patient care hours for that. But then before I could do that and go to PA school, I thought, well, my youngest, she was about one and a half. And I thought, well, 
I've also always really wanted to do this book writing thing. So I'll just give it a try and see what it takes. And it took off in a way that I couldn't have expected or imagined. And I'm so excited. But back to your question (laughs) is writing. I wake up really early and I go to bed really early. That's a pretty boring answer. But I wake up between 4.45 and 5.30. Oh, that's like earlier than early. (laughs) Yeah, depending on when I was able to get to bed. Like, so this morning I woke up at 5.15 because I went to bed at 10.15. So that's kind of my thing is I'm trying to get seven hours of sleep because sleep's really important for me too. Because if I don't, then I'm, I am a grouchy mom. Hmm. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I do get up early and I write I spend that morning time on something that takes, usually it's a novel. That's what I'm doing right now is I'm working on a novel. And so that's when I do my novel writing time. And then I'll work on that until about seven. And then I have to get some kids up for school. My older kids get themselves off. And so they're up and getting out the door while I'm working in the morning. They get up really early. And then the middle school and elementary kids get up. I get them up at seven and get them off to school. And I, my hat's off to the homeschool moms. And I have several really good friends that do that. And I think it's amazing. And um, I am grateful for sending my kids to school. (laughs) Well, I think there's this mutual respect, though, because I will say getting my kids up and fed and dressed and out the door anytime always feels like this heroic feat. So I think those of us who homeschool all have that sort of mutual (laughs) respect for those of you who pull off getting your kids to school every morning. (laughs) So then do you, well, actually, let me back up a little bit because you said you're working on a novel and you've just done the two, am I right in that? You've just done the two picture books so far. So the one, those are the ones that are out, but it's funny. There's such a lag time with publishing that I have three more contracted that aren't out yet, but that are contracted for the next few years. So I'll have two books out in 2019 and then hopefully 2020. I don't have a date for that third one yet. And then I'm working now on like three other, three or four other picture book projects that we're going to pitch shortly to be, you know, getting in the pipeline. And then I've got several novels that I'm working on too. So there's just a lot of things. At different stages. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've heard that your love of picture books actually came from sharing books with your father. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. My dad is a filmmaker and he owns his own production company. And so he writes and he produces, directs, he does it all. He's super brilliant, creative mind. And he would sit me down at night. I was, I'm the oldest of seven kids. And he, every night, would just get a pile of picture books. And he would let me choose two, of course. But he would choose some as well, which I'm really grateful for because he exposed me to some of my most favorite, beloved picture books that there is. And so he would sit and spend a long time on each page. And that kind of was annoying to me at first because I wanted to know what happened in the story. But he was just looking at the art and he would start pointing things out to me in the art. And so eventually I was able to notice that too and not be so worried about the story and know that we would get there, but I could appreciate what was being told in the story through the art on each page too. And that was, I never outgrew that. I never outgrew that love of picture books and sitting down and reading them. I collected them my whole 
young life and adult life before kids and then after kids, obviously, for sure. And then now it's, and I never even set out saying, I'm going to write a picture book. It was, I want to tell this story. And the picture book format lends itself best. You know, that art form is the best way to do it for me. I'm a really visual person and I often will see a, you know, like a spread is what they call it. Um, like a layout of the pages of what it will look like in my mind, even before words come. And I'm not an artist though, so I can't make, I can't draw what I'm seeing, but I can write about it. So I even think the way you string together your prose really speaks to that. Like I was saying before that I really feel like a lot, really good picture books read like poetry and yours. I mean, I'm just going to read the first page from The Dress and the Girl. Back when time seemed slower and life simpler, there was a dress. A dress, much like many others, made for a girl by her mother. Just that alone. I mean, I have all these images. And of course, the images by Julie Morissette are beautiful in the book. But also just that, those words, I bet our listeners have a beautiful picture in their minds just hearing those words. And that is an art that you don't get with a novel that only comes out, I think, in poetry and in picture books. And so I think your writing really lends itself well to that picture book format. And that is the highest compliment we we can give at the Read Aloud Revival. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so fun to hear you read it. I don't know if anyone has read me my book before. (laughs) So that's so lovely. Thank you. Do you remember books that you read with your father in particular that were special to you? Yes. I loved the Angelina Ballerina series. Um, I loved the illustrations in those books. I loved The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton. That's probably my, that's the book that made me want to write my own books. (laughs) This one's really funny. It's called The Bumper Book. I don't, I actually looked it up today to see if you could still find it. It was published in like the 1960s and it's a compilation of like different poems and short stories and it has art in it. And so I would get to choose one or two pages from the bumper book at night before bed sometimes. I've never heard of it. Oh my goodness. Okay. I looked it up. I think it's like a hundred dollars on Amazon to find an old (laughs) used one now or something. But yeah, yeah. That, I love that. But also I feel like other books that were read out loud to me, like the Great Brain series. Do you know the Great Brain? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So as we, as our family grew up, you know, we kind of evolved from reading picture books on my dad's lap to we would, every Sunday night, we would have family book. And so Sunday nights, we knew that we would gather around, we could have treats or whatever, and just find a comfy spot on the floor, the couch, and dad would read us the, the book that we were reading together as a family. And it was family book time. And so we went through a lot of different books over the years that way. But the Great Brain series is such a fun read aloud. Those are really quirky, funny (laughs) books. Also, newer ones that I think are amazing read alouds that I love because I'm doing it now with my kids, right? I'll read. I read aloud to my kids every night. And whether they like it or not, they're getting a little older, but I'm like, I don't care. We're still doing this. And my friend Karina just did the 10 or no, I'm mixing up. The Vanderbeekers. The Vanderbeekers. Thank you. Of 141st Street. Oh my goodness. I feel like that's like a new classic.
about what your writing process is like, because I think writing a picture book, especially seems like something of a mysterious process to many of us. Because you think in your head, okay, this isn't that many words, but the story has to be so perfectly executed. The language is always very purposeful and it's like poetry, really. And so many times I think with a picture book, the words are way more important than it is even for a novel. So I'm just curious as to what that process looks like when you're taking an idea from the first seed and then turning it into a 500 word or what, however many words story. Can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like for you? Sure. Yeah. And it, every book is different, at least is what I'm finding. So for Charlotte, the scientist, it actually started really, really, really short. It was only like 79 words. And then I built it up to what it is. And so that was a little bit different. And the process evolved too. At first, it was about a bunny named Seymour. And it wasn't even a scientist. It was just about a big bunny family. And that was kind of my husband's family. But then it evolved and became Charlotte, the scientist. And then we wanted to include more of the scientific method in. So once it sold, it didn't even have the steps of the scientific method in it. It just kind of referenced it. And then I worked with my editor to, and we put the steps in there specifically. So yeah, that one evolved from tiny, really, really short to longer. And then like for the dress and the girl, that was over. Oh my goodness. I think the first version I have of that is like pages and pages long. (laughs) So, so long. And it's actually also the first book I ever, or first picture book I ever tried to write. And so there was a really big learning curve there for me to learn that, oh, guess what? You know, you can't write a picture book that's 2,500 words and no one's going (laughs) to buy that. (laughs) You have to learn the rules of picture book making, you know. It's such an art. I think it's such a craft. It's deceptive because it looks from the outside like it could be simple until you try it yourself and you realize this is an art form and it is not nearly as easy as someone might think if they just pick up a picture book and read it in 10 minutes with their kids, which I think most of us listening to this podcast appreciate and respect that because we read so many of these wonderful books with our kids. But still, I mean, it's sort of deceptive how difficult that must be to pull off a story in so few words and to do it really, really well, which you've done with both of yours. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that a lot. You know, if a word is in there that doesn't move along or add to the story, then it's out of there, you know, even if it's beautiful or if, (laughs) but if it doesn't fit in with the, with the story and move it along, there's just not enough words in a picture book text to keep stuff that doesn't have to be there. Yeah. 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 So, and I think I heard somewhere that the dress and the girl you worked on, on and off for close to 10 years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Almost. I think it's about eight years, I think. So that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah. But it's such a beautiful book. In some ways, it reminds me of the book, and I wonder if you've seen it, by Jim Aylesworth, illustrated by Barbara McClintock, called Grandfather's Coat. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm really familiar with that. That's a lovely book. Thank you. That's a nice comparison. I just discovered that book last year, and I'm a big fan of both Jim Aylesworth and Barbara McClintock's work. But that book, I don't know, it's like the the idea of the passage of time and connection across generations and distances and what it means to love something. All of those things I see in The Dress and the Girl. I mean, I think The Dress and the Girl is poetic in a different way than than Grandfather's Coat, but both of those books have really resonated with me. So now was The Dress and the Girl based on a family story? In part. So it was inspired 
by two things. One, the first one was a tea party that my friend threw and she liked to be fancy. And so she wanted people to come dress in tea party outfits, which I didn't have anything like that. But someone that came to the party did and she wore this vintage 1940s tea party gown or dress or whatever. And it was just stunning. And she walked in and I was like, oh my goodness, where has that dress been? And what would it tell us if it could talk? So that was the first little seed of the story. I'm like, I want to tell a story about a dress. And then my husband's parents were living in Greece at the time. And we were going, my husband and I planned a trip to go and visit them because his, my husband's great grandfather immigrated to the United States from Greece. And he was the only member of his family that came. He was one of 11 children and came through Ellis Island and never saw the rest of his family again. And, you know, sent, worked on the railroad and sent money to them for the rest of his life, but he never got to see them again. So we were able to go, my husband and I and his parents, up to that little village that his great-grandfather immigrated from and visit. And it was a a really amazing experience. We drove up this tiny little road up into the mountains of Greece and pulled up in our car in the middle of the town where pretty much everyone knew that we were there. That's how small the town was. You know, it's got the older gentleman playing chess, you know, sitting there right in front of us and they look at you and we didn't speak any Greek and they didn't speak any English. And we walked over to the cemetery and we were trying to find the family plot and see if there was anything more that we could learn about our family that we didn't know. We hardly knew anything about. And a few minutes later, a man started shouting from shouting to us about 100 yards away in his yard and motioning for us to to come over to him and we were worried that we had done something wrong or my in-laws could speak enough greek to kind of say who we were and why we were there and he motioned for us to follow him into his home and we walked in and he pointed to a picture on the wall and it was of a young younger man that was him when he was younger And then he pointed to my husband and they looked like the same person, nearly. And he kept saying family over and over in Greek. And he was a member of our family that we had never known about and that he lived up there. And he and his wife set out this amazing feast from their garden for us. It was like being in the movie Mamma Mia or something like it was the most surreal, amazing thing. And we've kept in touch with them. And his daughter, he got his daughter on the phone who did speak English. And so we were able to communicate a little bit better with them. And that's been just the neatest connection to be able to, you know, find and rediscover. And the book is actually dedicated to the Andrutsos family. My last name is Andros. And it was shortened from Andrutsos when my husband's great-grandfather came through Ellis Island. So the book is dedicated to the Andrutos family, especially Harry, who was his great-grandfather, who made my life possible because he sacrificed and came, left his family and came to the United States. So I have my family because of what he did. That's amazing. Now, I know you love traveling and I'm wondering 
if your traveling impacts your writing? Oh, for sure. Definitely. But I think it's just any new experience, right? It can just be, you know, going on a hike somewhere that you haven't been before or any any new experience, I think, fuels my creativity, at least. You know, I think that as you do and see new things, that's always great, you know, creative fodder. I was just in New York this past or last, last week and was able to be there with my agent and the illustrator who's working on one of my books. We're working on a book together. And just having that experience of being in a new city and seeing and talking to new people, we came up with like three new book ideas together, you know, just having that creative energy. There's definitely something to being in a fresh setting or in a setting with other creatives that has that great creative potential and energy. I love it. Yeah, it kind of helps you see the world fresh, right? When you start a new project or you have a seed of an idea and you start to write the story, whether it's a picture book or novel, do you kind of know where it's going or do you just write and find out? Yeah, I've I've heard that people say you either write to discover or discover what you like either you know where you're going when you sit down and write it or you have to sit down and write it to know where you're going right but it depends on the project sometimes I will like I had for a certain book just an image come to mind and it was just a character and I was like oh who is that and what do I need to know about her and so I would I wrote to figure out who she was for that story but sometimes like with nonfiction, like I've read, I have a nonfiction book coming out next year that's about Eliza Hamilton, a picture book biography. And that, I mean, you already know where that's going. And that was kind of easier in a way because I didn't have to make up any story. I, I mean, I did, but there are facts of her life. And I, I wrote that, that nonfiction in such a way that it sounds like it's a storybook still. I, I hated growing up the nonfiction books that were so long and were just of facts and information. And those are good, but that is not something that interests me or kept my attention. And so I wanted to write the kind of nonfiction book that I wanted to read. And it was one that tells a story. And so I write that way for that. But for novels, I'm finding that I need to know how it ends and I need to know how it begins because I think those kind of mirror each other. But the middle part is a little bit trickier for me and I I have to just sit down every day and write it to find out what's going to happen. Yeah, because, how you're going to get there. Okay. Yeah, how I'm going to get there. It's So every book is different. I wish I had like a, a formula that was like, this is how you do it. <laughs> but I I don't have one of those. It's every book is is different. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Abby, and I'm six years old. And my favorite book is All the Kids Family. And my favorite part about this is they're all good. And where do you live, Aubrey? I live in Lego, Texas. 
Good job, Jack. My name is Bella. I'm from Tiger Dogan. I'm five years old, and my favorite book is The Pendlewicks because it's adventurous. I like the book, and it's a fun book, and I like the characters. My name is Matia. I'm eight years old. I live in Tiger Dogan, and my favorite book is Land of Stories because the characters are fun and. They go on adventures and it's really funny. What's your name? My name is Amity and I'm five, and I live in Melbourne, Australia. And what's your favourite book? Amelia Bedelia. And why do you like Amelia Bedelia? Because I like the part where she gives the boy a pen and he draws his blood. Very good. My name is Emma. I'm six years old. And I live in Montana, and my favorite book is *The Bill and Three Gruff* by Jerry Pinkney. *The Three Billy Goats Gruff* by Jerry Pinkney. What's your favorite part in that book? The well, Billy Goat, the trot, and the biggest Billy Goat fight. My name is Sebastian. I am eight. I live in Alaska. My favorite book is *Scout: The Secret of the Swamp*. Something I like about it is that it takes place in a war. And the kid and the dog are very daring, and that the dog got to be trained to do many things, and that the basically the main characters of the book is um Scout and his owner. My name is Janet. I'm five years old, and we live in Alaska. And my favorite book is Gentle Ben. And what I like about it is that. The kid makes a deal with his father, and then the father gives him a bear, and then every time after school he feeds it its leftover of sandwiches. My name is L. Anderson. I am 11 years old. I live in Orem, Utah, and my favorite book is Wonder by R. J. Palacio. I love it because it teaches me not to judge other people, and it doesn't matter what you look on the outside; it just matters what you look on the inside. Hi, my name is Eleanor. I'm four years old. I live in Kansas, and my favorite book is Aesop's Fables. My favorite story is. And is the gnat and the bird. My turn, my turn. What is your name? Andre. How old are you? Twelve. Where do we live? Belgrade, Montana. What's one of your favorite books? A Pigeon's Tale, because I breed pigeons. Ah, thank you so much, kids. I always love hearing from you. Hey, don't forget if you are anywhere near those great homeschool conventions, I'd love to meet you there. To find out exact locations and dates, and to grab your tickets, go to greathomeschoolconventions.com. I'll be back in two weeks with episode 125 of the podcast. We're going to be talking all about what to do when your kids don't love reading. I know that never happens in your house, right? <laughs> Mine either. <laughs> We're gonna talk all about it. We're gonna dig into what to do if your kids don't love reading and your heart is just breaking. So meet me back here, same place, same time. But in the meantime, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Mm-hmm.